0: It is a message of hope. And as we look at the world around us, I know it's no surprise when I say that we are living at a time when many are losing their hope. And whether it's circumstantial, whether it's a season that's causing the loss of hope, there are so many that they're wrestling because they just don't believe, they just don't trust, they don't really know, can I really trust God with my life? Can I really place my hope in him? What if God, what if God lets me down? Many believe in God for salvation but they struggle to believe in him for transformation. And I believe this passage here in Psalms 27 as we cover a few verses paints a beautiful picture of what happens when you what happens when I put our hope and trust in the Lord. And again, why hope? Well, just Look around. Look at the things that we're facing individually as a nation, as a world. Because if there's one thing that we all share in common, every single one of us will experience life. And that's really earth-shattering information that I just provided for you. But every single one of us will face trials and tribulations. And even Jesus said himself, in this life, you will have trials of many kind kinds, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. None of us are, ex- are exempt from the trials and the tribulations of life. And so the question becomes, where do you, where do I put our hope? Now, it's imperative that I define what I mean by hope. I'm not talking about crossing your fingers and just wishing, closing your eyes and hoping that God comes through, hoping that heaven is real and that Jesus comes back, trying to convince yourself that what we read in this book really, really, really is true. I am talking about the absolute certainty of coming good. I'm talking about the absolute certainty that God is for you in all of your troubles and all of your blessings and every season of your life you have the confidence you have the hope you have the certainty of coming good do you have that hope you see hope is based on a belief system and there are many who have lost their hope You see, the Bible teaches that Christ invites you, he invites me to put our hope, to put our trust, to put our confidence in him. And not because when we do, then all of a sudden everything will go our way, that there's going to be green lights and no lines, but that he promises that when we do, all of the perplexities of our lives are going somewhere good. He gives you and he gives me the absolute certainty the best is yet to come. As mentioned, hope is based on a belief system. And when your belief system fails you, that's when you have despair. That's when you have hopelessness. And that's when the darkness will set in. And if you know someone who's in despair, if you know someone who is in a position of hopelessness, chances are their belief system has failed them. And for us who have chosen to follow Christ, we believe, like David, that when we put our hope in Christ, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He will never fail us. Now, it's important to note that David didn't pen this psalm, as I mentioned, in a comfortable season of his life, whether it was early or later Both times would have been very difficult seasons of his life. And in the midst of those seasons or in the midst of that season, David finds his strength. He finds his peace. He finds his direction. He finds his hope when he realizes that his belief system is connected to a truth that is carrying him to the ultimate truths of God's word and that God will never, ever fail him. Mind you, This did not take away the circumstances that David would go through. This did not take away the circumstances that David's going through, but it did tackle the fear of the unknown. It did give David the confidence that there is a God in heaven who will carry him through. And so the question becomes, for you and for me, where do you put your hope and how do you maintain the hope? Well, in verses 1 through 3, read it with me again. In Psalms 27, David writes, The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. The first thing we learn from David's writing of Psalms 27 is that you must, you must remind yourself and you must live in God's truth. You see, for David, he reminds himself of God's truth. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness. And we as followers of Christ, as the church, cannot miss this. We have to live in God's truth, not our own. The first few verses of Psalms 27 is a reminder of who God is. You see, David writes, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. The result, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? In any given circumstance, in any given situation, there will always be two truths that you and I will live in. Your truth or God's truth. And in any given circumstances, in any given situation, you have to ask yourself in that moment, whose truth are you living in? And the follow-up question you have to ask yourself is whose truth do you want to live in? Because sometimes our own truth can be self-serving. Our own truth can be Protective of ourselves. Our own truth can be a strategy we've created so that we don't have to put ourselves in a position to be vulnerable or put ourselves in a position to say, God, I'm having difficulty trusting you in this. And the challenge for every believer is to live in God's truth. And what is God's truth? Well, simply put, God's truth is defined as whatever God declares about a matter is his truth about that matter. Period. End of story. And that includes what God says about you. You see, truth has no emotion. It is not influenced by circumstances. It does not bend to, the, to bend its knee to the cultural or social narrative of the day. It doesn't change like the weather. Again, by the time David writes this psalm later in his life, all the things that David would have experienced from being a shepherd to fighting the Philistines, killing a Goliath, being anointed as king, running from Saul, fleeing from his enemies, becoming king, becoming a man of war, being used by God to fulfill promises, personal hurdles, overcoming his enemies, and so, so, so much more. And as David pens this psalm, he looks back and he reminds himself of the faithfulness of God, the truths of God, and it's no wonder why He says, "The Lord is the light of my salvation. Do you realize that David is not foreign to reminding himself of who God is? We read there in early in David's life when he fights Goliath, he reminds He reminds them of who God is, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David reminds himself of who God is, he looks back at the storyboard of his life and he sees God's faithfulness here and God's faithfulness there. And if God is faithful me, faithful to me here and there, then he will be faithful me, faithful to me in what I'm going through today. When you look back at the storyboard of your life, are you reminded of God's faithfulness in your life? When you look back at the moment you committed your life to Christ, whether you've been walking with God for five minutes or 50 years, and you look back and you see the faithfulness of God's hand in your life, that God met me here, and God met me here, and God met me here, and the things in which I'm going through today, I know I can have the confidence, as David said, the Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you look back at the storyboard of your life, do you remind yourself of God's faithfulness and of God's truth in your life? Well, so where do you get your truth? Where do you get that which governs your life? You know what's interesting in Genesis chapter 3 where God tells Adam and Eve not to not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after they do that, say, you can read it for yourself for homework if you like. Adam hides himself from the Lord. God comes out and says, Adam, Adam, where are you? He comes out. Adam comes out and he says, I hid myself because I was naked and afraid. Now, God didn't ask where Adam was because he lost the only two people he created on planet Earth. He asked him where he was. He comes out and says, I was naked and afraid, so I hid myself. And the next thing God says, which is, to me, one of the greatest questions I think God ever posed to man. God looks at Adam and says, who told you you were naked? Because you didn't get that from me. You got that from someone else. Now, in the context of that scripture, there was dialogue between Eve and Satan. Who told you you were naked? Where did you get that, Adam? Because you didn't get that from me. Whenever we get our truths outside of the scriptures, and I'm talking about that which governs your life, whenever you get your truths, be careful, lest you find yourself hiding from the Lord. Where do you get your truths? A lot of people today, we live in a time they get their truths from a cultural narrative, a social narrative, the news, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, Ben Shapiro, or even ourselves. This is where we get our truths, but we must get our truths from the Word of God and that which He declares because every single one of us, myself included, get our truths from someone or somewhere. It's a while back. I was uh, heading home. I stopped to get something to eat, and I uh, stopped that Chick-fil-A. I remember this. And I had a water bottle on the passenger seat of my truck. I got to my house. I parked it, turned it off. I grabbed my bag for dinner, and I grabbed my water bottle. What I didn't realize that my water bottle wasn't shut all the way. So as I'm sliding out of my truck, and I'm pulling my water bottle out, all of a sudden the water just goes everywhere, right? All over the dash, all over the center console. And I'm just, I'm standing outside of my truck and I'm looking at the inside of my truck. And this had just happened a couple of weeks prior to that. That just happened. And I told my, you got to make sure this thing is shut, tightened. And as I Turning around, I'm looking at my truck, soaking wet. And I I remember saying to myself, you are such an idiot. Man, you are dumb. This just happened to you two weeks ago. You think you'd learned something by now. Now I have to clean all of this up. And it dawned on me, not to over-spiritualize spilling water, but it dawned on me, does the Lord call you an idiot? Does the Lord call you dumb? Mm -hmm. Then by what right do you have to call yourself that? Mm -hmm. Now, I get it. You're like, that's an over-spiritualization for water. Well, hold on. For me and my personal life, there are a lot of things that we say to ourselves about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And by what right do we have to tell ourselves things that God doesn't even declare about us in his word? I love what author and Bible teacher Paul David Tripp writes. He writes, whether you realize it or not, you are in an unending conversation with yourself. And the things that you say to you about you are formative of the way that you live. You are constantly talking to yourself about your identity, your spirituality, your functionality, your emotionality, your mentality, your personality, your relationships, etc. You are constantly preaching to yourself some kind of gospel. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of your own righteousness, power, and wisdom, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of deep spiritual need and sufficient grace. You preach to yourself the anti-gospel of alones and inability, or you preach to, to, you preach to the true gospel of the presence and the provisions and the power of an ever-present Christ. So where do you get your truth? You see, for many, truth can be difficult to embrace because we allow our emotions to dictate our truth rather than the truth to dictate our emotions. And there's a struggle there. And sometimes walking and believing in God's truth might mean that God has to expose the lie. He never does it to hurt or to shame. He does it to heal. And so David reminds himself of who God is. He reminds himself of the faithfulness of God in his life. And so he's able to, in this season of going through difficulties, navigate it in such a way where he reminds himself of the faithfulness and reminds himself of who God is in his truth. And David says, he's the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? My heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me. In this I will be confident not confidence in himself, it's confidence in who God is. And so if we're gonna have that hope, if we're gonna live in that hope and walk in that hope, the first thing that we have to do is we must live in God's truth. The second thing we have to do after we live in God's truth is we must believe. Jump down with me to verse 13. David says, I would have lost heart unless I have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We must, we must believe. And Why? Because belief dictates behavior. Let me say that again. Belief dictates behavior. If you don't believe that, then I challenge you to go find somebody who's really, really superstitious, ask them to break a mirror, walk under a ladder, or burn a rabbit's foot. And you will find out quickly just how much belief dictates behavior. In fact, belief dictates behavior so much that there's a certain way that we even construct and build our buildings. If you have more than 14 stories in a building, you have the 11th floor, the 12th floor. What comes next? The 14th floor. Why is that? Because the 13th floor is bad luck. Belief impacts our behavior so much that you don't even have a 13th floor, which technically the 14th would be the 13th, I think. But it influences the way we build our buildings. It influences the way we live out our lives. Webster's Dictionary defines this, defines belief as this, excuse me, a state or habit of mind in which trust, or confidence is placed in some person or something. A state or habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or some thing. And if you still don't believe that belief dictates behavior, and I had somebody recently tell me, I don't really believe that. I think I think behavior dictates your belief. He said that at a Bible study, and I wanted to say, interesting, you being at a Bible study, is that are you here because of your behavior or your belief? Your belief dictates behavior, and if you really still don't really believe that, take a look at what we've experienced the last two years, COVID-19. No matter what side of the aisle you are on, for or against, this topic has literally torn families apart. And I know families who are spending their holidays this year a little different because of clashes they had last holiday season. Over this particular issue, you have those that are saying, I cannot believe. Well, I can't believe you. And no matter what side of the aisle you are on, there's such a strong belief system connected to both of those that it has literally torn families apart and has caused a division in the church. I can't go to a church that says, I can't support a pastor that won't because they're connected to a belief system. Your belief dictates your behavior. And we are encouraged in the scriptures. We are encouraged to believe in Christ, to believe in him, to put our hope in him, our trust and our confidence in him. And there's a part of me that wonders, man, if we had such a commitment to believe the things of the scriptures, the way some people are believing the things out there, how might the church look different? And why is this important? Here's why. Because David tells us, In verse 13, I would have a lost heart unless I had believed. That was David's way of saying, I wanted to quit. If you don't believe, if you have no confidence, if you have no hope, that's where hopelessness sets in. Your belief system begins to fail you because what you believe about God and who he is and who he declares you to be and the truths found in his word will directly impact the way that you live out your faith or conversely, the way that you don't live out your faith. If you don't believe that God has forgiven you, then chances are you will not live a forgiven life, but a defeated life and continue to see yourself through your own eyes and not his. If you don't believe that he has redeemed you, that he loves you, that he's for you, that he has a purpose for your life, then chances are you will only see yourself through the lenses of self, your circumstances, your own perspective, your own truth. And you will not live out your faith in such a way where you are confident that you, like David, will see the good of God in the land of the living because this will directly impact the way that you live out your faith. It will directly impact the way you live, leave this building. What do you believe? And here's something else I note about this section of scripture. This was written, again, like most commentators and scholars and Jewish traditions believe, towards the end of David's life, later in David's life, and that tells me one important truth, that believing in Christ is not a one-time deal. It is an active, living, and continuous act. You don't just come to Christ and say, oh, I, believe, I, I believed in Christ um, back in 19. I gave my life to him back in 2000, and, and that was it. Belief in Christ is an active, living Continuous act, not something that you do at one point and we're done, we move on, but rather every single day that we get out of our beds, we have to make a decision will we believe the truths of God? The Gospel of John is becoming one of my most favorite books in scriptures. John writes to an audience of new believers and those who were seeking what it means to have faith in Christ. Close to 70 times is the word belief or believe used in the Gospel of John. In fact, when you read the Gospel of John from beginning to end, you will constantly see Jesus challenging people's belief systems. Sometimes before the miracle and after the miracle. And even after the miracle is done, when Jesus heals and and, and heals the man who was blind, he finds that man later and says, do you believe? Which I find kind of interesting because if I was blind and then I can see, I don't care who it was or what it was, I'd believe in that. (laughs) And Jesus finds this man and says, do you believe? And of course, the man says, "Well, well, yeah, I'll believe in the Messiah. Where is he? And Jesus said, I am the Messiah. You're looking at him. Belief and faith in Christ is a active and living, continuous act. In fact, John ends the book with we write these things so that you may believe do you believe if you're going to live out that hope if you're going to live out that faith in christ we must live in god's truth we must continue to believe do we believe do you believe that god is not done do you believe that god is not done with you Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the very end. And I will admit, sometimes you look at the circumstances that we see in the world around us and we go, whew, man, it's tough. It's tough. Or do you believe that God is still sovereign and in control? Do you believe? Do we believe that God is greater than any world government? That God is greater than any circumstances that we may see? on a global level, on a national level, on a personal level, that God is greater, that God will see you through, that he is faithful to complete. Again, I mentioned earlier, there are many believers who have enough belief for salvation, but they struggle to believe for transformation. And what that looks like is, yeah, I believe enough to raise my hand and commit my life to Christ, but in terms of being transformed into the image of God, well, I just don't really believe that God's going to do that for me because you don't understand the things that I've experienced in life. And what that looks like and plays out practically is that's why you can have someone who's come to church for years and still have no depth, no maturity. They've been coming to church for 10 to 15 years, but they have no idea how God's gifted them, where God has called them to serve in the body of Christ. They are like, The babes that are still feeding on the milk of the word of God rather than feeding on the meat of the word of God as Paul describes. We have to walk in his truth. We have to believe in him and believe in what he declares. Thirdly and finally, verse 14, David writes, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Finally, we must learn to wait and to rest in him. And as one commentator put it, he said, To wait for the Lord means to depend on him. It does not indicate passivity or inaction, but rather trust and confidence, anticipating that he will take action. Resting in him isn't burying your head in the sand. It's knowing that God will take action as having the confidence that he will see you through And so David writes, when you believe, when you put your hope in him, he shall strengthen you. It is not ambiguous. There's no gray area here. It's not maybe. It's not possibly. He will. But you have to learn to rest in him. And that is a challenge in our day. We live in a time when people work to rest rather than to work from rest. We are spurring to work to work because we can't wait to go on that vacation. And then we're gone for a week or two and we come back and then what do we say? Man, I need a vacation for my vacation. We, people work to rest rather than learning to work from our rest. I don't know where you're at in your journey where you're at in whatever season of life that you're going through. But I ask you, where do you put your hope? Not where did you put your hope when you committed your life to Christ. Where do you put your hope today? Where do you put your hope when you hear things like, hey, be careful, gas prices, interest rates. Oh, and here's what's going on in the Ukraine. Here's how it's going to impact you. When you get the news, when you find out, when we all go through those situations, we all go through those things, well, where do you put your hope? Where do you put your confidence? Do you trust in him? Are you resting in Christ? Are you sitting at his feet with an absolute confidence? Lord, I know you will see me through. And because of that, I will not fear. But I will rest confidently in you. I encourage you to put your hope in him. Jesus said, all who are tired and heavy burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. A story is told of an older woman who knew her time was coming soon. So she met with the pastor to discuss how she wanted her funeral services to go. She told him what verses she wanted read, what songs she wanted played, and even told the pastor she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. At the conclusion, the pastor got up to leave, and the woman said, there's one more thing. She told the pastor that she wanted to be buried with the fork. Perplexed, the pastor looked at the woman and said, a fork? And she went on to tell him that in all of her years attending church socials and potluck dinners, when the main dish was being cleared, someone inevitably said, keep your fork. And she, always, she was always told to keep her fork. She said it was her favorite part of the meal because she knew something better was coming, like chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. She told the pastor, when people ask why I was buried with a fork, you can tell them the best is yet to come. We have to live in God's truth. In order to live in God's truth, we have to believe him. And we have to believe his truth. And then we must learn to sit, to wait, to rest in him. And David says, and he writes, when we do this, And I'll read it again one last time. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. David says, when you do this, you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, and he shall strengthen your heart. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so thankful for the privilege of being here, to be encouraged through your word. And we know, Lord, that Living in truth, believing you, resting in you sometimes is easier said than done. But I pray that we would all learn to sit at your feet, to receive from you, to seek first the kingdom of God, that all things would be added unto us. But I pray that you would minister to every person here, that as they leave here, that they would be challenged to look at what they believe, where they put their hope. Lord, that maybe on the way home, they turn the radio off and contemplate your truths where they're at with you, that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And so we thank you for our time together. Lord, we pray that we would be those that would have confidence in you because of your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Amen.